I would like to uh, talk to you a little bit today about uh, uh, the significance of one life, the significance of one life. I want to really thank Pastor Tom today for filling in for the last couple of Sundays and Wednesdays as I've been recovering from uh, surgery. And uh, it's been a little different with this surgery. I thought I'd bounce back a lot faster, but uh, I decided to milk it for all I could, you know. And uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Honey, I need another pop. <laughs> no, uh, no, I didn't do that. But uh, no, it's been a little bit, maybe it's because I'm getting a little older. But uh, thank you so much, everybody, for your prayers and for your kind thoughts, your cards. And thank you. It really, uh, it really was neat to, to get those. And it's, it's good to be thought about. And uh, I really appreciate Pastor Tom. I've been hearing about the messages that he's delivered. And uh, the first Sunday was about the Grinch, which I thought, you know, how many like the Grinch? You know, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, the Grinch is really cool. I like the Grinch too. And uh, also then the second week was uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future. Yes, one of my favorite Christmas stories uh, is, uh, of course, the Christmas Carol and Scrooge and all that. And I appreciate so much how Pastor Tom... Uh, brought those uh, those Christmas holiday characters to life to point out the truth of the gospel and the necessity of our faith. That was that was really cool. Great great way. You know another one of our holiday favorites. One of my holiday favorites this time of the year is in our home is it's a wonderful life. Um, I find that my son-in-law Brad he oftentimes quotes that movie. You know uh, it's funny how things happen in life and and uh, all of a sudden you hear movie quotes going going on in, in my family. They're quoting movies. Maybe your family does that too. But uh, my son-in-law Brad really loves the that fan, that movie. The, it's a Wonderful Life uh, with Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. You probably have uh, have seen it here. Um, how many have seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, okay, probably. How many have not seen it? Anyone not not seen it? Okay, there, there's there's a, there, there's a few. Uh, yeah, you might want to get it because it's really a really a marvelous old film. I think it was made back in 1946, maybe. So it's a black and white job, unless they've colorized it. But um, it's with Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, and uh, again, um, it's uh, it's a story of a man by the name of George Bailey is his name. And George Bailey, George has some plans uh, since ever since he was a kid, uh, escaping this boring town called Bedford Falls. That's where he was born and raised, and he considers it a very boring town. Probably most of us, if we look at the movie scape of it, there we think, "Wow, let me live there." It's a fantastic little town, but uh, for him, it was boring, and he. He, he wanted to see the world, so he wanted to get out of Bed, Bed, Bedford Falls. That was his plan ever since he was a kid. Um, however, as he grew up, one circumstance after another uh, uh, prevented him from ever leaving Bedford Falls because he was needed to help other people. People always were in a crisis, and, and they and at the right time, that it just happened at the right time where George was prevented from leaving town, and he'd have to help someone, you know. And anyway, it wound up being that he he stayed there. He marries a woman by the name of Mary Hatch, who loved him since he was a kid, and um, uh, through the hardship of the Depression and World War II, George and Mary uh, eventually have four children. And they just face one struggle after another. You see that in the film. The final straw, though, is when George, his partner, Uncle Billy, loses $8,000 of their company's money. Uh, he loses all the company's assets on Christmas Eve. 
on Christmas Eve. Uncle Billy loses it. Actually, it wasn't lost. It was stolen by a guy, by the, the, the rival, the, the enemy in the movie, by the, the guy by the name of Mr. Potter. The bank examiner is examining the books on Christmas Eve, which is like corny. Why in the world would you do that? But in the movie, that he's examining it. And they uh, discover that the $8,000 is missing and George may well go to prison. All the money that George has in the world is really just a $15,000 life insurance policy. That's all the money he has. And uh, he decides to take his life by jumping off of the bridge uh, into the river um, there. And however, there was an, uh, an angel by the name of Clarence uh, who hasn't earned his wings yet. Uh, he's sent down to help George. So as George prepares to jump off the bridge, Clarence jumps in ahead of George, and George then jumps in to save Clarence. George later tells Clarence that he wishes that he had never been born and, uh, and so Clarence allows him to see how different life would be if he had never been born. George then proceeds to look for his family and friends and discovers that no one knows him and their lives are all dismally, dismally tragic because George was never born. And Clarence says to George, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. And when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? I want to show a movie clip of when George was trying to find his family. And because, um, again, he's never been born, and he's trying to look for his discover, trying to find his family, and he discovers that they don't know who he is. Look, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. What else are you? What are you... You a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? Here. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. They're not there either. What? Zuzu's petals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. Oh, this is some sort of a funny dream I'm having. So long, Mister. I'm going home. Home? What home? Now shut up! Cut it out! You, you, you're, you, you're crazy. That's what I think. You're, you're screwy. You're driving me crazy, too. I'm seeing things here. I'm going home and see my wife and family. You understand that? And I'm going home alone. Well? Mother. Mother? What do you want? Mother, that's... This is George. I, I thought sure you'd remember me. George who? 
If you're looking for a room, there's no vacancy. Please help me. Something terrible has happened to me. I, I don't know what it is. Something's happened to everybody. Please let me come in and, and keep me here until I get over it. Get over what? I don't take in strangers unless they're sent here by somebody I know. What? Well, I know everybody you know. What you, your brother-in-law, Uncle Billy. You know him? Well, sure I do. When did you see him last? Today, over at his house. It's a lie. He's been in the insane asylum ever since he lost his business. And if you ask me, that's where you belong. man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Well, I've heard of things like this. You've got me in some kind of a spell or something. Well, I'm going to get out of it. I'll get out of it. I know how, too. I... The last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. You know where he lives? Well, sure I know where he lives. He lives in Bailey Park. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You went here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes, George? Where's Mary? Oh, well, I, I can't... Uh... I don't know how you know these things, but tell me, where is she? I'm if you not... know where she is, tell me where my wife is. I'm not supposed to tell. Please, Clarence, tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? She's an old maid. She never married. Where's Mary? Where is she? she... Where is she? She's just about to close up the library! Must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. seen that movie before you have to get it now to watch it <laughs> so, you know some, someday loved ones for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ God's going to show each of you how he used your life to touch another life for the good even in some of the most minute out of the limelight ways you know God uh, notes even the smallest 
act of faith, the smallest act of kindness, the smallest demonstration of love, and he's going to reward it. I've always been encouraged by that verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, where Jesus says, even a cup of cold water given in my name will be rewarded. And that's something. God keeps great record books when it comes to how our lives touch the lives of other people. You know, George Bailey was given the opportunity to see how dismal, how distressing, and how bleak the lives of others would be without the influence of his life. Have you ever wondered this? Have you ever wondered what life, what our culture, yes, really even what the world would be like if God, the Son, Jesus Christ, had never been born in Bethlehem some 2,028 years ago, uh, had, if had he never grown into manhood, had he never brought the power of God's kingdom, the freedom of God's kingdom to, to us, had he never died upon a Roman cross, um, you know, uh, and had never risen from the dead three days later, and then 40 days later uh, ascended into heaven, and then 10 days later after that, the Holy Spirit came uh, that we might experience all that Jesus had secured for us. Ever wonder what it would be like? What life would be like if Jesus had never been born? You know, I think that's an interesting thought. You know, what, uh, what if Jesus had never been born? What if? Isn't that interesting? That'd be an interesting study. Interesting. Th- uh, I mean, what if Jesus had not come? What would life today in America? Would there even be America? I don't think there would be. Would there even be, you know, uh, the, the, the liberties and some of the blessings, many of the blessings that we enjoy, enjoy today? There is an illogical, uneducated assertion today being pushed that Jesus, I know it's hard to believe, I, I'm dumbfounded when I hear uh, supposedly educated people talking this way, that they're actually asserting today, asserting today that Jesus never existed. <laughs> Have you been hearing that? Have you heard that? Yeah. As people talk about Christianity, as the opponents of Christianity talk about it, they say, well, you know, there's really not many. Not, we don't really believe we, that Jesus existed. Huh. Um, it's being touted by the same crowd who can't define what a woman is, by, by the way, today. Uh, but this, so it's rather pathetic. But even the old secular academics are scratching their heads because they know there is more evidence from antiquity for the existence of Jesus than any other person in human history. It, uh, so it's just absurdity to deny the truth that Jesus was a real person on this earth. Beloved ones, what would the world, what would life be like today without Jesus Christ? It seems, um, again, uh, today, there's an emphasis, uh, particularly in the West. When I say the West, I'm talking about Europe as well as uh, North America. There's an emphasis today that uh, people, um, leaders, or there's, there's a large segment of society that just wants Christianity to go away. Want to go away. We don't want it anymore. It, uh, it's kind of like uh, they believe God's truth is too old-fashioned and that the world or the society has a better truth now and that it's superior to God's truth. Uh, for example, the, a biblical take on abortion and the sacredness of life is too extreme, even for the Republicans today. 
Critics say, again, Christianity is too old-fashioned. We are more educated and sophisticated now, and we have a higher truth that trumps God's old truth. And these folks are very ignorant, though, of, of uh, world history. They don't, they don't think about world history. They don't, they don't know it. And uh, someone put it this way, said, be careful what you want. Be careful what you long for. You might get what you want, but you might not want what you get. People might want to do away with Christianity today or maybe just put God on the sidelines and it's more evident today than ever. But you might want to say to them, you might get what you want, but you might not want what you're going to get when God is removed because there's going to be a vacuum there and something is always going to rush in to fill it. And it's not going to be God, so what's it going to be? Something worse than you could ever imagine. But Prominent atheist Richard Dawkins might even agree with uh, Richard Dawkins. You've heard me mention his name before, but he's the guy that wrote The God Delusion back in 2006. He's one of the, uh, the prominent atheists today. Uh, very well-spoken person, very uh, good speaker, very, uh, in, 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 I'd say, intelligent. Of course, he's intelligent in the sense of the world's intelligence because the Bible says what? Um, the fool believes in his heart there is no God. So as far as the Bible's concerned, Richard Dawkins is a fool. But, but as far as the world's concerned, he's extremely intelligent. And um, in 2006, uh, he wrote the God, the God Delusion. But in 2010, he was, there was an interview with uh, the Times of London. And this is what he said. I'll, I got the quote up here for you, and I'll just read it for you. He said, you know, there are no Christians, as far as I know, blowing up buildings. I'm not aware of any Christian suicide bombers. I'm not aware of any major Christian denom denomination that believes the penalty for apostasy is death. And then he admitted this. I have mixed feelings about the decline of Christianity insofar as Christianity might be a bulwark or a, a stronghold against something worse. <laughs> he understands, even being an atheist, that if Christianity vanishes... What's going to come in and fill its place? It's going to be something horrible. It's going to be something horrible. The Jesus factor, as Jeremiah Johnston calls it, is more than just a stronghold against radical Islam, but it's a, a life lived according to the ways of Jesus, and you know this to be true, shields us against a host of negative things. You know, by following Jesus, we stay out of trouble. Well, we, there's the right kind of trouble to get into by standing up for Jesus. But when you live for Jesus, He keeps you from destroying your life, you know, by uh, bad habits and by getting involved in things that destroy your body. You know? I think you know what I'm talking about. So there's a, there's a protection that comes with following God's wisdom, following God's truth. Um, the very standard of life that we enjoy in Europe and America would disappear if Christianity vanished. You know, without the higher truth of Christianity, uh, Christian ethics, and a Christian worldview, how long, loved ones, would freedom, how long would liberty, how long would morality last? I mean, we can see it disintegrating already as God has pushed more and more to the side. I mean, people are so confused today about their, their genders and their sexuality and, and such crazy things are take, taking place that we just can't believe it, you know, and, you know, sometimes you think, you know, 
Have you ever thought about that? Why is it only the guys are the ones who want to go into the girls' bathroom? You know? You don't hear about the girls wanting to go into the guys' bathroom, you know? And put these things together, you know, everybody. You know, realize there's, there's sinister things at work here. Um, um, our society continues to erode because we're just no longer holding to the absolutes of God's word. The absolutes, the unchangeable truth. One societal experiment after another just seems to be crumbling without the rock of Jesus Christ as its foundation. You know, liberty is only able to flourish our personal liberties. You know, the, these inalienable rights that we talk about um, in our founding documents, you know, they're able, only able to flourish you know, as expressed in the Old and New Testaments under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They're only able to exist there. They can't exist. It was John Adams, one of, uh, one of our founding fathers. I got a few quotes for you here. Uh, John Adams says, he says this, he says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. When he talks about religious people, he's talking about Christian people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He says, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And then another time he said, the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Because as, as the, in the Middle Ages, as, as the Reformers began discovering the Bible, as they began translating the Bible in their own languages, and as they, stud, as they learned the principles of Jesus Christ, they learned the principles of liberty and freedom and of uh, the rights that God had given, has given to every human being. And that's why we have what we have today is because those reformers, they, because of our founding fathers, because of the pilgrims, and, and because of those, want, those, those colonists who, who realized that, that, um, that England, for example, had thwarted, had, they had surrendered their authority to rule because they were mistreating people, according to Romans chapter 13. They realized those things, and that's why there was a war to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ during the war of the revolution. You know, it wasn't until the revelation of God's word of universal freedom and individual liberty as a right for all people that as it began to get rooted in society, as people began to discover the truth in God's word. Some, of course, today would say that the Jesus factor actually slows down progress. That's what we hear today. It slows down progress. It impedes it. And that many positive developments in medicine and science and politics witnessed in history since the rise of the Christian church would have come anyway and maybe even faster if it hadn't been for the church. But the point is, those kinds of claims simply don't reflect the facts of history. It was because of Christianity that we have the advancement in science is because of Christianity we have the advancement in medicine. Because of Christianity we have the advancement in politics. Yeah. If you recall in the early church history uh, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were attempting to spread the gospel and they were attempting to go into Asia Minor. They wanted to go to Ephesus and some of those areas. And, and somehow, we don't know how, it happened, what, how God stopped them, but it said that the Spirit of God stopped Paul from going there. He didn't want him to go there and preach the gospel. Hmm. Interesting thought, isn't it? 
And then, so he then he tried to go northeast into, into Bithynia. And it said the Holy Spirit stopped him from going into Bithynia. So he didn't want him to go that way. He didn't want him to go this way. So Paul's at a standstill. And he says, what, where do you want us to go next? And you remember in Acts chapter 16 where that night Paul had a vision of a man across the Aegean Sea over in Europe, in Greece, a Macedonian man who said, come over here and help us. And Paul took that as God's leading that we should not go into Asia or go, go into Bithynia. We should go over into Europe and start spreading the gospel, start preaching the gospel. I think that's fascinating because so Paul took the gospel to the West, to Europe, and history reflects how because of Christ's life, Europe was transformed from pagan and primitive violence to a leap ahead of all the Asian cultures to the East. Europe just began to explode in advancement over against all the cultures to the East. The West was outstriding. They were advancing. They were improving. They were increasing. They, you know, uh, John Wesley's you know, example, he noticed that whenever he preached the gospel and people, they turned to Jesus Christ, society always improved because people started loving one another and, and wanting to live in a way that honored God and society always got better. Yeah. And that's what Christianity did in Europe. Very fascinating. And ed education, technology, science, human rights. Uh, the current anti-Christian teachers uh, really fail to acknowledge, you know, what just took place in Germany. You know, you guys are wanting to get rid of Christianity. Can you stop and think about it a minute? What took place in Germany back in the 1900s? What took place in Russia in the 1900s, 1917, you know, what took place in Germany in 1939, you know, 19, in the 30s and the 40s? What happened when we pushed God out? What happened when those leaders pushed God out? Oh, 20 million people were slaughtered. Even more than that, actually, when you consider, you know, what happened in Cambodia and things like that, you know, in the killing fields, the Pol Pot. Yeah, whenever God is pushed out, the, the, the vacuum pulls in then just all horrible, horrid, uh, a horror story uh, against mankind. You know, when we remove the influence of Jesus' life in society, when Christianity collapses, there's this ungodly horror rushes in to fill the cultural vacuum. You know, what, um, what would life be like today for us if Jesus never, never had been born? Some say we can really, we really can't know that. But you know what? We can. And this is part one of this message. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on the next part. Of course, necessarily God willing. But what was life like when Jesus came? We want to look at that. You know, what was life like toward children? What was life like toward women? What was like, life like toward just the, the, uh, the human life? What, what was it like? What were the attitudes then before Jesus came? And I think we can find a pretty good example. We, we can figure out if we discover how life changed after he came. We can see what we'll, what we'll go back to if Christianity is pushed out of our society. You know, Jesus said, 
on the Sermon on the Mount, it's that God loves everybody. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, therefore, even people who are not Christians, if they're next to you, if they're living next to you, guess what? They reap the benefits. They reap some of the benefits of Christianity. You know, isn't that amazing? God sends his rain on the righteous farmer, but he sends it on the unjust farmer too. And that's the way it is in a society where Christianity, where the worldview of Christianity is, is dominating, that people who aren't even Christians benefit from it. They benefit from it even though they aren't Christians because they're, they're under that, that scope of God's sunshine, of His mercy. Paul revealed to us here in the book of Galatians here as we close today, he said, but, but when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And when we are His, and because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now, which Abba means it's a, it's a term of endearment uh, to to, to God. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You know, the fullness of time means this, that at God's appointed time, in other words, at just the right time, Christmas came. At just the right time. All the significant events of God's plan for, redemptive, for the redemption of mankind, do you realize it was scheduled? That's what Paul's indicating here. It's actually been scheduled. That Jesus came right at the right time. I think we've looked before about when he entered into uh, Jerusalem on, the, on, the, uh, on Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry. It was right on time. It fulfilled the schedule of Daniel's prophecy. You know, right on time, the exact time. So Jesus came at the exact time. That all plan of God's plan of redemption for us, it's all been scheduled in advance from the beginning to the final judgment. And you know what? Even the final judgment has been planned. Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God has appointed a day, as a day coming, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained, hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying that God's even appointed a day when the judgment day will come. It's not off the docket. You know, it's not like God's not waiting to be scheduled. Paul said it's already scheduled. Yeah, God's got a calendar date for that final day. Just like he had a calendar date, calendar date for Christmas, a calendar date for the cross, a calendar date for the empty tomb. Amen. And God, He wasn't satisfied to watch our lives disintegrate because of sin's dominance over us and, and because of God's, the judgment of God's law upon us. So this Jesus used His life to die for us and to obey the will of God, to adopt us into uh, God's family as we surrender to Him. And the significance of Jesus' life then causes our lives, loved ones, to be significant. That through Him... As we surrender to Him, He can make us much more than what we could ever be in ourselves. And that's what amazes me, isn't it? As you stop to think, think about this. That by surrendering to Jesus, people so many times think that they're losing something. Actually, you're gaining so much more than you could ever lose. 
And by surrendering to Jesus, by obeying Him, yes, you might say, well, there's some hard commands or some hard things to give up. Oh, maybe so. Initially, you might think that way. But as you follow Him, you find out, oh my goodness, my life has been used so much for His glory or His honor. Or I've received so many more riches, so many good things in my life by surrendering to Him. His, the significance of His life causes my life to become significant. Amen. Amen. Hmm. So, the significance of Jesus here, this, I hope that you think about that as we celebrate Christmas this year, how significant Jesus' life was and is as it not only changes us from the inside out of people who believe on Him, but as it changes society all around us as we learn to love God with all of our heart and learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at exactly what was it like before Jesus came? What was the attitude toward children? What was the attitude toward women? And why we should fear ever trying to push God out of society. Lord, today as we, as we leave, as we, as we uh, go to our homes or maybe travel home, wherever we, we live, we pray that you'll watch over us today. We pray that your hand of blessing and your providential care will be over us. We pray that you will open up our minds to know deep things, to know high things, enable us, Lord, to, to think hard thoughts, to think significant thoughts that will matter to how we live our lives. It will matter to how we, how we uh, um, Lord, exist in this world. And we know that our existence here is brief. We know that we, we aren't here for a long time. So we pray that, Lord, in the time we are here, that we will learn to count our days and use our days wisely. That we will learn to always submit ourselves to you and realize that the meaning and purpose of our life is all bound up in the meaning and purpose of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together. And uh, be sure to...